I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I say to you today, my friend, let freedom ring. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thanks God Almighty, we are free at last. It's all about this man, Alton Sterling. This as his family and friends want him to be remembered this way. The 37-year-old man was shot to death yesterday early morning outside of a convenience store where he sold CDs and DVDs. And the video we're about to show you was taken from inside a car. The video is very graphic and it is very disturbing and you need to make sure there are no children in the room if you are going to watch this video in just a few moments. Uh, we're going to play this video only once in its entirety, unedited, because it is critical that you see these details for yourself. The details are what are going to be analyzed and assessed and investigated for days, if not months, if not years. So with that warning, here is the video. Police just he's 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 covered. He has killed my boyfriend. He's licensed. He's carried to he's licensed to carry. He was trying to get out his ID and his wallet out his um pocket, and he let the officer know that he was re he had a firearm and he was reaching for his wallet, and the officer just shot him in his arm. We're waiting for a back. I will, sir. No worries. He just shot his arm off. We got pulled over on Larpener. I told him not to reach for it. I told him to get his hand out. He have, you told him to get his ID, sir, and his driver's license. 
Oh my God, please don't tell me he did. Please don't tell me my boyfriend just went like that. Yes, I will, sir. I'll keep my hands where they are. Please don't tell me this, Lord. Please, please don't tell me that he's gone. Please don't tell me that he's gone. Please, officer, don't tell me that you just did this to him. You shot four bullets into him, sir. He was just getting his license and registration, sir. Get the female passenger out. Keep him up. Where's my daughter? You got my daughter? Face away from me and walk backwards. Keep walking. Keep walking. Keep walking. Keep walking. Get on your knees. Get on your knees. Man, you're just being detained right now until we get this all sorted out, okay? They threw my phone, Facebook. Please don't tell me, Lord Jesus. Please don't tell me, Lord Jesus. Okay. No, please don't tell me, my boyfriend. Please don't tell me, Lord. Please don't. Please no. Ladies and gentlemen of America, tonight we go a different direction, as tragedy has struck the black community again. A license to kill in America, black lives apparently do not matter. Hang on, folks. We visit this tragedy, and we take a deep look at the racism and prejudice appalling, unexplained and senseless death of two black men in two days. Hang on to your seats. We take off right now. And welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to a very special edition of, of uh, AJC Radio tonight as we deal with the tragedy and the death of Mr. Sterling, Alton Sterling, Mr. Castillo in Minnesota this morning. Before we go there, Lisa, the disclaimer for our listeners. We just want to remind everyone that we are not attorneys and that a just cause does not provide legal advice. You want to contact your personal legal advisor for all of your legal needs. Also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or AJC radio. And as always, thank you for tuning in and spending time with us this evening. And thank you for that, Lisa, and uh, we appreciate that. And ladies and gentlemen of America, we are faced with a situation tonight, and, and here uh, we're going to have an opportunity to deal with this tragedy, which we are obligated to address uh, this issue of blacks dying needlessly in our streets again. And until America becomes outraged, this will continue. Slavery is alive and well in the United States of America as lives, black lives, continue senselessly, excuse me, to be cut short. We're going to take a look at that tonight. And uh, we're going to have an opportunity 
uh, to actually speak to a gentleman who was who was witness to some of these things, uh, the, the uh, killing, the murder uh, of Alton Sterling in Louisiana. And we bring Mr. Arthur Reed online now. Hey, how you doing? Pretty good, sir. Uh, I appreciate uh, Arthur talking to you a little bit earlier prior to the show. And I know it's been a busy day for you. Uh, if you could explain to our listeners uh, this senseless killing. We know there's protests out there in Louisiana right now. And across this country, uh, the senseless death of Arthur Sterling. Can you tell us a little bit, a little bit about what, what, uh, what's happening down there right now? Uh, we're still on the ground. Uh, we're taking a stand on this. This is one of the uh, most peaceful process, um, or protests that we have seen during this whole ordeal that's taking place in America. Uh, but we are serious. Uh, we're definitely serious. Um, I think that the people have become a little bit more calmer since they um, have heard that the Department of Justice is taking over the investigation. However, um, the Department of Justice can't bring criminal charges. These are damn criminals that need to be arrested. So we're definitely looking at all of the things that's taking place, but we're keeping it close to the fire, making sure that we keep the heat on so that this thing don't die out. Unfortunately, last night, another individual was killed, so it kind of takes the light off of Baton Rouge and puts it over there. But uh, that shows you that there's a repeat pattern of these individuals that are killing black men. Um, we believe that this is a secret uh, society that has badges by law enforcement and is carrying out an evil deed in the in the community. So we want to stop this, and we definitely um, definitely want the government to realize that we got to deal with this like we have dealt with everything else. We can't keep sweeping this under the rug. We need to seek out those individuals and make sure that we get them off the police force. We can't con- uh, allow them to con- continue killing us. Hello, absolutely, Arthur. And uh, Arthur, did you actually? Witness, were you at the at the uh, store at the time that this actually happened? I know you. Uh, I know you. No, 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 no. I wasn't. No, I wasn't. We distributed the video. The video was was, was filmed by people of our organization, but we have you. not. We have. Yeah, yeah, and we have not released the name of the individual that um that filmed it for security purposes. We're dealing sure. with killers with badges. We get, we're dealing with individuals that have been licensed to kill. So it's nothing for them to pull an individual over and kill them and say, oh, we thought he was reaching for a gun. So we take our security um, very, very serious at this time. This is a war we're in. Oh, no, absolutely, Arthur. And I'll tell you what, uh, we appreciate your work, the people that are on the ground there. And, you know, and, and I never thought of it that way, but we are in a war zone. Uh, that is a war we're zone. We're in a war zone. And I'll tell we're, you. We're in a war zone. Go ahead. Go ahead, sorry, Arthur. Go ahead. No, please. We're, we're, we're definitely in a war zone. We're, we're in a war zone, and we have to fight this war, unfortunately, on two fronts. We're fighting a war on two fronts right now because we have the police killing us on one side, and then we're killing ourselves on the other side. So we have to look at that, too, and we have to definitely start doing better by ourselves and what we do uh, in our communities to stop all of this madness. Um, we can holler Black Lives Matter all day, but if it don't matter for black people, it don't mean nothing. So we have to do better with ourselves as well. No, absolutely. That's right. Uh, that's a, a great point. Now, uh, I see that you guys getting situated in the local community. The bank is about to Now, they have said, we have to get to the 
But uh, if you can... You're breaking up bad. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Okay, Arthur. Arthur, it sounds like the folks are going to leave it loud. Yeah, the crowd is getting loud. The crowd is getting loud, and um, I'm not going to be able to hear you. I apologize, but a rally is taking place. So thank you for having me on, and uh, I look forward to talking back to you before this ordeal is over, okay? Okay, Arthur, we'll be back in touch with you. Good luck out there. Be safe tonight. Okay, thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Whew. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, it's going down in Louisiana. Folks out there protesting this injustice, the senseless killings of that young man. Uh, Mr. Alton Sterling shot point-blank range in the chest, on his back, pent down. I need you to, I mean, I'm sure you've seen the video, so I don't have to paint a picture. Pent down on his back, allowed in the state of Louisiana, it's, a, it's, a, it's an open carry state, which means you have the right to, to bear your, uh, to carry a concealed weapon. The weapon was concealed in the pocket of Mr. Sterling. And the fact of that is, is that when the officers arrived, whenever you see any officers arriving, a man has a gun. Dennis, what are the words that the officers normally say? Drop your weapon. Exactly. Drop your weapon. Those words never came out the officer's mouth. They simply said, get on the ground. Then he, he, uh, the, one of the officers proceeded to tackle this man. And the officer, uh, one of the, the former FBI, uh, the former FBI director on scene in the day made this statement. The entire process was wrong and botched. Because, number one, you don't try to tackle an assailant in between two cars where anybody could have just cracked their head open. You're dealing with, like, these cops had no knowledge. You would like to believe that, but that's not the case. These are rogue cops on a mission. Kill as many black people as we can get. That's right. When a man is on his back and he's pinned down, his weapon is not dislodged, it's not in his hand, and you don't shoot him in the leg. He's not even a threat. You, you press the gun into his chest. Point range. Point blank range. And you shoot, what, four times, Cliff? I think it was six times. It was times. seven. Seven wow. times? Seven yeah, times. He got shot in the chest, chest and in, in the back. back. Yeah. So that, that's the part. It's like, okay, how do the police uh, explain this? And then... Um, you know, speaking to to uh, to Arthur Reed, who we just got off the phone with, you know, the protest is going on. Uh, it's live there. But uh, the thing is, the po- they waited 16 hours for the police to make a statement. The police never made a statement. So it makes you understand that, oh, you weren't going to say anything about this shooting if the video hadn't come out. If the video hadn't come out, this was going to be another black man killed by police that, uh, you know, just went. Un, untalked about, unwhatever, but it, it, it would show again, black lives do not matter. Bottom line, and you can say what you want, folks, I'm going to call it what it is. This is a modern day lynching of African Americans. That's right. When you got a young lady, and we, 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 we'll, we'll t- speak to this, not only uh, Alton Sterling, uh, but Mr. Castillo in Minnesota this morning gets in his car, his four year old daughter in the back seat 
He tells the officer, I have a weapon, but it's a, I have a permit to carry it. I'm letting you know, officer, I have a weapon. I'm reaching for my wallet because you have asked me to pull out my registration and my license. Officer, I'm reaching for my wallet. You shoot this man four times. At point blank range. At point blank range with his little girl seeing her father get murdered? Are you kidding me? How, how is this even? Well, but there needs to be an investigation. This is blatant murder. There's none to understand. Thankful for DOJ going in. But you know what? Department of Justice, we've seen this before. Go in. We're going to do an investigation. We're going to do this. We're going to get to that in a moment. Cliff? Yeah, we have a caller on the line. We have Mazda from uh, Orlando, Florida, wants to make a comment. And uh, Mazda, you're live. Go ahead. Yes, I appreciate you taking my calls. Our heart and mind goes with the victims of this uh, massacre. I mean, this killing. Rest, uh, I mean, these killings, and whether it was in Minnesota or Louisiana. I mean, uh, this is an act. Uh, they pronounce against humanity an act of war. This is an act of war against all Americans. I mean, whether it's African or etc., this act will be condemned, and this police officer must be go life in prison. And, you know, but we are not going to finish that. We want racial equality in America. Until we don't get that, there will be more bloodshed as we witness today. We must unite together as one humankind, and until we don't see this happening, there will be more killings and more injustice to Americans. What do you think, my friends? No, I absolutely oh, agree, agree with you. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, yeah, we absolutely agree. And thank you very much for your comment, Mazda. But that is the key, is that we have to have, uh, you know, we we have to have unity in the fight and like you say in this this battle this war against inequality of all people in a, in America especially especially people of color i mean it is it has become ridiculous i mean one day you hear one shooting a black man getting shot by a cop the next day you wake up another black man has gotten shot by uh shot and killed by a cop when does it end and like you said Lamar, i mean yeah the doj they're investigating it. DOJ can't bring, you know, they, they, uh, they're not going to bring the charges. They'll say whether charges should be brought, what they recommend. But uh, how many times have we seen in the last two, three years that a black man is getting shot or killed or a black child, uh, as in the, the case with Tamir Rice, shot and killed and no charge? Oh, well, the, the officer was justified in what he did. This is totally ridiculous. You have a man pinned down on the ground shoot him in his chest and then you pull a gun out of his pocket and say oh he had a gun so what did he brandish it did he point it at you did you tell him to put it down did you give him any possible chance of uh, of not taking his life that's the question well and, and here's what you're looking at folks you're looking at a pattern of abuse a pattern of killings that's why we call it a lynching uh during the civil rights movement all the people that were it down wherever they were and you got uh, black people being hung from trees, being tortured, killed. 
check this timeline out. I want to share this with you. Uh, and this is from Arizona to New York. The cases have added to a national outrage over deadly force used by police. When Michael Brown was shot to death by a white police officer in Ferguson, Missouri, in August of 2014, it awakened a movement that began with the previous killing of another black teenager, Trevon Martin, who was, who was shot in 2012 by Neighborhood Watch volunteer George Zimmerman. Brown's death was not the first of its kind. Since Martin's just a month prior, Eric Gardner died after being placed in a chokehold by New York police officers. Both deaths sparked protests across the country, protests that were renewed when grand juries declined to charge the officers involved in either case. The national outcry has cast light on similar cases from the past year, some leading to charges against the police officers involved, others not. Here's a breakdown of what those killings happened and their outcomes. April 30th, 2014, Dontre Hamilton from Milwaukee, 31, was fatally shot 14 times by a police officer in a Milwaukee park. The officer was responding to a call from employees at a nearby Starbucks alleging that Hamilton, who had been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, was disturbing the peace. So a man, number one, who's mentally dealing with issues, medical limitations, Shot 14 times wow. by a police officer in Milwaukee, 31 years old. Eric Gardner, we know this story. July 17th, New York City, was killed after he was put in an illegal chokehold for 15 seconds by a white police officer alleging for selling loose cigarettes. Mr. Gardner said, I can't breathe 11 times as he was held down by several officers on a sidewalk. The officer who put Garner in the chokehold, Daniel Patelio, was not charged. Garner's death sparked peaceful protests across the nation with demonstrators adopting the phrase, I can't breathe, as a symbol and slogan of protest. Those are two. Cliff, your thoughts on that one. Well, this is it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, just how many times can it happen before, before there is something something that happens that tells uh, black America, black men of America who are being uh, slaughtered like, uh, you know, rabid animals, black women who are watching their men killed, black children who watch their fathers, brothers, uncles, gunned down by police officers, where is the accountability? That is what, I mean, if if it were happening, yeah, it would still be upsetting, but when is somebody going to be held accountable? I mean, we just saw last week. Nobody was held accountable in Freddie Gray's death. You say, "Oh, no, well, he he died at with uh, at the hands of a police officer," but nobody is held accountable. Where is the accountability for uh, police officers killing these men? Absolutely, Lisa. I'm sorry. You know, I what I think when I'm looking at all this stuff and I'm listening to the news today and I'm watching all of this unfold. I think the biggest problem that we have is that people are not willing to deal with the issue that's at hand. So many people are wanting to say that this has nothing to do with these people being black. Yes, it does. It has everything to do with them being black. Does it mean that only black people are being killed? Absolutely not. But just like our president said today, black people are more, are more susceptible to being shot and killed or killed in some way by police officers than any other nationality in this country. He said that today, and he's absolutely right. We're more at risk. There's a much more, there's a much higher danger rate for black people in America, and I think people need to realize that and quit trying to skirt around that and just say, well, no, that's not, it's not about race. This is just something that happened. It's not just something that happened. You have to look at the real issue and deal with what's at hand. Look, wake up, America. Wake 
up. The alarm clock is going off. Wake up. Other cases of that. And we got John Crawford, August 5th, 2014. 22, was shot and killed by a police officer at a Walmart in Beaver Creek, Ohio. There did not, to be a, there did not, there did not appear to be a confrontation with the police. Crawford was unarmed, said he had a, been holding a toy BB gun, I believe, which Walmart wow. sells. That's right. Oh, they do. You know, the officers involved in the shooting, Sean Williams and David Darko, were not charged. August 9, 2014, Michael Brown, we just talked about it, was shot and killed by Ferguson police officer Darren Wilson. In November, a grand jury declined to charge Wilson in the fatal shooting. Brown's death and the lack of charges against Wilson sparked protests again. Some of them became violent. Also, officer not charged. William, your thoughts? You know, I saw somebody today, they posted online, they said, um, you know, just real quick, so this is this is old. What's new is the camera, is the cell phone. And that's the one that's thing that's right. making the biggest difference. I mean, this is not new stuff. This is not new stuff that black men are dying at the hands of police officers. They've been doing it for years. It's the fact that now there's the cell phone. And I mean, and even even um, Mr. Castillo's mother had said this morning, if it hadn't been for Diamond, if it hadn't been for his fiance actually recording it, what would have happened? What would have happened? Well, listen, we talked about the culture. Cliff, we've said this a thousand times. Why does it seem so difficult to change the culture? Listen to these statistics. How many people were killed by police in 2015? This is just as a whole. Gunshots, 1,010 people of 1,134 people. Taser involved, 49 of 1,134. Death in custody. 41 of 1,134. Struck by a vehicle, 33 of 1,134. In all, 89% of deaths by police in 2015 were caused by gunshots. Now, we're talking about gun control in America. We need to, it sounds to me, we got a gun control problem with, with police now. That's right, law enforcement. Law enforcement. They need police to control. control. And, and, and you know what? Look, I'm sorry, ahead. Cliff. We, I heard a gentleman say today, this is not what they what people are keep looking at is they keep talking about the police aren't trained they need to be probably trained oh, to training. deal with people. I mean, and he, he but he said before you even talk about training, you got to hire the right people. You're hiring making people police officers who have no business carrying a gun. They should never be allowed to carry a gun, exactly. and they're walking around with a gun and a badge that's saying I have a right to shoot you if I think I if I want to say that I felt like my life was being threatened. And that's that's right. I mean, if you think about it, you look at any police officer. Any police officer, they'll have batons, they'll have pepper spray, they'll have, you know, tasers. They have several, several instruments to use for restraint. But why is it the first thing they go to is their sidearm? That tells you it's the type of people. They're trained. They're trained. People are dying. So they're trained to shoot. They're trained to do the thing that they want to do. Unfortunately, it is the wrong kind of people. These are people that have got, I guess they may be dealing with a God complex or something like that. And the thing is, I mean... Yeah, it's it's they get training because look at these stats that the research team just showing. Not really stats, but these are just facts. James Holmes, the Aurora shooter, Robert Deere, the Planned Parenthood shooter, Adam Lanza, the Sandy Hook uh, Elementary School shooter, and Dylan Roof, the South Carolina church shooter. They were all apprehended alive. They shot, killed multiple people. But the, wow. the police officers had no problem with James Holmes. He's in the parking lot with assault rifles. 
handguns, and standing no there. He gets and he, he gets get shot down. No, he doesn't get shot. He gets apprehended alive. He he's going through his cycle, whatever, before they can realize what they're going to do with him. No, I think actually, you know, I stand corrected. They gave him some penalty. Like, he's in prison, as far as I know. But that has nothing to do with training. The when it comes to a black man, they act, oh well. Yeah, he no, he could have had a gun. There's a gun. I mean, you watch the video with um, the 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 CD man in in uh, Louisiana. They pull Mr. A, they pull yeah. Mr. Sterling. They pull a gun out after they shoot him, and then pull a gun out out of his pocket. If the video hadn't come forward, what would they say? He pulled a gun. But on see, now the thing that gets me about that, the thing that gets me about that is that they say their body cameras came off. Their body cameras came off, but. His gun didn't fall out of his pocket. You know what I'm saying? I mean, but the body camera just kind of, you know, it malfunctioned. It had some kind of problem, you know, but eh, the weapon didn't come to his eye. I mean, there's so much crap that's going on with these people, man. It's ridiculous. No, it is. Cliff? Yeah, we have a caller, Luana from Colorado. Uh, you are live. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Uh, this is this is a tragedy. This is a, This is uncomprehendable. I am so, I just can't believe it. I cannot believe that almost every day you wake up, they have killed another black person. Then they want to say, it's not It's not about black people. Show me where they killed a white one. Show me where they shot a white man ten times. One time, let alone multiple times. And multiple, and when they shoot, I'm telling you, when these white crooked cops, not the decent ones, we're talking about the white crooked cops, shoot a black man that many times, you know what they're doing? I'm enjoying this. I'm so glad I can shoot and kill me a black man. Because what they're doing, okay, we can't hang you from a tree in 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 the middle of the street. So what we'll do, we will kill as many blacks as we can as like they did in back in the slavery days, this is just another form. That's all it is. Another form of killing black people. Get rid of as many blacks as you can get rid of. And killing them and, and put them in prison. Both on both sides, we'll get rid of you blacks if we start, if the black people with that have a voice and a platform don't stand up and speak out Against this stuff, it will never end. They will continue because if, if you keep getting away with something, why am I going to stop? Why, what we, I'm going to get off anyway. I can go down the street and kill a little black boy that's, that's 12 or any other age. I can kill any man I want to kill because they're going to put me on administrative leave with pay. Well, I'm having a free vacation here after I kill a black. Long as I know he's black, I'm fine. Now, you let him shoot a white man down like a dog, and you see if they're not under the jail in five seconds. And then we'll say, uh, now, what good are body cameras and videos? What good is it if if the GOP and whoever else is going to ignore the fact that it's right in front of your face? You don't need an investigation. Look at it. They shot the man to death in the street. It was uncalled for. All these other men, the other men they choked to death. That was uncalled for. You didn't need an investigation. You need an investigation when I don't know what's wrong. You can see what's wrong. 
November 13, 2014, 37 years old, died after officers in Cleveland allegedly slammed her head on the pavement while taking her into custody. Anderson's family said she had bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. The investigation in the case remains ongoing, and no charges have been filed against the officers involved. How do you bang to death a woman's head into the pavement while taking her into lawful custody. Dennis? There's no value for life, uh, not black lives. And I tell you, it's sad to say that this country, I'm telling you, I'm so hurt at what's going on in America today uh, after these two recent deaths. Uh, it's just amazing that our, our police force, and, and they try to blame it on training, and, and they try to say, well, maybe if, the, if, if that person, that individual would have kept their hands in the air, why do blacks have to act differently when approached by a police officer than whites? Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, Don Lemon made this point today on CNN. He said, uh, and we're going to get to that, but he made a statement of just how much officers uh, are different where white people are yelling at cops, cussing at them, doing in whatever. Their face, holding a assault rifle, and they're still and they getting take treated it. like, like, well, sir, yeah, let a black man come up. Well, they did the study. The black let a black man, man don't, show up with a assault Black man don't have to do nothing. That's right. No, just, walk down the street. Just like uh, the guy's mother said, black in the wrong place. We have calls right. on the line. We have the uh, truth. Wants to make a comment. You're live. Yes, thanks for taking my call. I'm thinking today, as much as I'm, as I'm hearing about the killing of, of African American men in this in this country, it is shameful. You know what? It makes me wonder how in the world can we, as a nation, be an example of any sort where we kill people in our own country just because the color of their skin is different. That That is the most sickest crap I think I've ever heard. And you know what I thought? If you want to know how do we stop this, you start taking those cops who are killing blacks and put them in prison, give them life in prison for murder, then we'll see a change in this. They, don't, they kill black men because it doesn't matter if you kill a black you're not going to have to answer for it anyway. We've been watching this garbage forever, over and over again, them killing our black men in this country. They're either going to kill them with a gun 
God, they're going to put them behind bars where they'll never get out. It's one way or another trying to get rid of blacks. You know, all the black people in this country had better stand up, make our voices heard, because they don't plan on stopping. I can tell you right now, if it hadn't been for cell phones and, 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 and the new technology that we got now, they killed a whole lot of black people. We just didn't, didn't see it, wasn't nobody there. So whoever the police said, if he says, well, they pulled a gun on me or they did this to me, they buy that. But now that we've got technology to, to, to really photograph these heathens and, and these crazy, insane murderers, you know, we're going to, so, so what are you going to do? And you know what? A lot of these cops, not all, but a lot of them are nothing but cowards. So when they come up on somebody, if they think, that he's got a gun. He may not even have one, but if they think he got one, they just start shooting like crazy. That's why they shoot seven and eight times, because I better be sure I kill this black boy. Because if he gets up, he's going to do me a job. You know what? They need to get them crazy cops that's insane, that's a bunch of uh, 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 cowards, and, and take them off the force. You can't run, run, uh, I, I, mean, I mean, take care of people uh, not in the right way if you're afraid they're getting ready to do something to you. And, 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 and I want to know, when, the, when does the time come that if we're angry as a black race of people, we have a right to be angry? You just kill our people like you kill flies. You couldn't even kill a dog in the street and get away with it. But you can kill a black man? No wonder that organization came out with Black Lives Matter. And everybody in this country ought to be a part of it and say, you know what, we're with you. Because if we don't unite as a race of people, these people going to keep killing our black men. They're going to keep putting them in prison and giving them higher sentences and taking them away from their kids and their families. Honey, we better make our voices heard in this hour. These people are going crazy. They don't, they don't plan on stopping. Because you can kill a black man just like that boy uh, killed Trayvon Martin, uh, and he got over a half million dollars online thanking him for killing him. If these people can get rich from killing an uh, African-American man, we better open our mouths. I'm telling you, 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 you know what this thing is moving toward? It's moving toward a civil a civil uh, war in this country. Somewhere you're going to push the black race of people for one last time. Somewhere they're going to they're get up and say, we had enough. If you don't want things uh, uh, resolved in a, in, a, uh, in a violent way, then let's do what they should do. If the, if you kill a man, black or white, you're going to you're going to jail. These people are walking away scot free, making money off of killing black people. I tell you what, we better open our mouths and start talking. Cause if you don't, they go and maybe your son or your father or your husband next. These people don't care. How do you shoot a man that many times on the ground when he can't even move? You know, these people are insane. The hatred for black is so great. Until when they get one, they just try to fill him full of bullets. One bullet will kill him. But you're going to fill him full of bullets. Just keep sh shooting and shooting. You better, make, you better make an example out of these cro crooked cops who hate black people. You better make an example so or I'm telling you, this country is headed for a civil war, and God knows we don't need that, but something's got to happen here. This is insanity. 
So I'm telling you, it's time to cry out and cry out loud. Thank God for all the white people that's out there uh, uh, protesting, who's standing for it because it's wrong. I'm thankful for that. So let's do what we got to do uh, and, and, and make our voices heard out here. We got to do it. You sit down and say nothing, you're no better than the ones who's killing our, our, our African-American men. Uh, and, and thanks for taking my call. Bye. And thank, thank you. you. And uh, like I said, you know, we have a reason business, and this is let's take business off of off of it. This is personal now. Enough is enough, period. And the race relations issues in this country have been highlighted. And I'm telling you, this didn't start yesterday. This is an ongoing epidemic in this country of treating blacks as second. Uh, class citizens and Jesse Williams came out we said it a week ago on this program speaking against this type of stuff and they wanted they had the nerve to challenge him what are you saying to Jesse Williams tonight America what are you saying to this man he just spoke this two weeks ago about this type of conduct and his words are clear that we are second class citizens in this country that's how we are treated and that's the bottom line. When you can, as I said, slam the head of a woman, of a black woman, taking her into custody and kill her. What is wrong with you? Lamont, and I think the biggest issue is that there is no accountability. If these people were being held accountable, if these officers who were, were, that were doing this were being held accountable, at some point they would stop. But because they're permitted to get away with it time and time and time again, then they continue to do the way they've been doing it because it's okay. That's what America's told them is that it's okay if you kill these black people. We're not going to lock you up for that. That's fine. But, I mean, if you, if you kill the white people, we might have a little issue. But if it's the black people, go ahead. We're not going to bother you. Yeah, just, just unacceptable. And we, Again, voices need to ring out loud as we can ring. Cliff? Yeah, um, and we have our uh, uh, guest, Professor Joe Fagan, is on the line and uh, joining us in this conversation. And, uh, Mr. Fagan, you're live. Thank you very much for uh, coming on tonight. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, looking at this situation, dealing with these issues, I mean, there's so, there's, uh, so many angles to go uh, with on this whole, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Don't Matter, the, uh, the death of, of young black men in America all the way down to Tamir Rice at 12 years old. And, you know, I, I can't help. I have to mention, I mean, if you want to do a contrast, you say, imagine if Tamir Rice was a 12-year-old white kid playing in a suburban park uh, in an upper-class neighborhood and the same situation happened where a police officer comes in and within 30 seconds you have a young, white, 12-year-old boy dead because he was in the park playing with his BB gun. That is the epitome of, in my opinion, the hypocrisy of what is going on in America today. Yeah, let me give you an example of just what you've said. The other day in Raleigh, North Carolina, a 62-year-old white man was pointing a shotgun at people, and a deputy stopped, and he pointed the shotgun at the deputy. The deputy walked over, pushed the gun aside. Then this white man pulled out a pistol and tried to shoot him. 
and the deputy managed to push him away, and the, and the shot went off, and the man was arrested unassaulted. Yeah, the white man walk, walked to the car and was put in jail without dying after pointing two guns at a deputy sheriff. Yeah, and I, I remember seeing that video, and I and at that time I thought, you know, uh, kudos has, for the has that has that ever happened to a black man, right? That which it's that like has ever and and in America, if that ever happens to a black man, uh, I will be proud to call myself an American, uh, and I'll be proud of our law enforcement. But uh, you and I both know that the the probability of that happening with a with a black assailant standing in front of a police officer, not not just with a weapon out, but pointing it at him, and a police officer trying to talk uh, a black man down in that situation, not going to happen in our lifetime. And Mr. Fagan, I'll, I'll tell you now, I want to get your thoughts on the two, the, the two uh, killings, uh, murders, and I have no other word for it, murders, cold-blooded murders that happened with these two men. Uh, your thoughts, as you have seen the news uh, be bombarded with this type of injustice in this country. What are your thoughts on that with these officers? Again, we've been having the conversation, and that's every, what I'm getting tired of, is every time somebody gets killed, well, this is healthy dialogue. We need to die. We've already been talking, and people are still dying. Professor, your thoughts on that? Well, I agree with your anger. This is a time to be angry. Un unfortunately, this has been going on for 400 years, and especially since the 1960s. If you remember, there were many large-scale ghetto uprisings in the 60s and early 70s against racism. Most of the big uprisings were police brutality incidents, police killings, police shootings, just like this, and this was 50 years ago. So this pattern is systemic, it's structural, it's deep in the country, and it'll only be stopped by massive, organized civil rights movements against it. The underlying problem, of course, is that most police departments have no adequate anti-racism training for their officers, especially their white officers. They may have some slight temporary diversity workshops, but with a diversity workshop you can't overcome many decades of racism thinking and training uh, that white deputies and police officers have gotten over their lifetimes. You know, we whites are raised with this deep white racial framing of the world. And that white racial frame we learn from cradle to grave says white people are virtuous, we're not criminal, we're hardworking. And there's an anti-black subframe in that white frame that says black people are lazy, they're dangerous, and they're criminal. We're taught that as children. We're taught that as teenagers. We're taught that in the media. So, of course, you're going to get some white police officers who see a black man and are scared or fearful. They see a white man in the same situation, and they're not. It's because they've had to be carefully taught that over lifetimes. And the only way to counter that is some aggressive re-education of white police officers over an extended, long period of time. And like your previous caller suggested, there's got to be strict punishment in these cases. You punish a few of these officers with life imprisonment or worse, put them to death in death penalty states. You know, 
What? How many cases of white police officers killing black men have resulted in a white officer being punished by going to prison? None that I know. That's extremely rare. I guarantee you, if they regularly went to prison for long periods of time, this would stop. So it's about enforcement. It's about deep structures. It's systemic. No, absolutely. And these are things that, uh, again, uh, areas, you know, and we we asked the question, and, and the president made the statement today, Vice President Biden said this today in his statement, now we're stuck again, trying to heal again. But the wounds haven't been closed from Ferguson, from Walter Scott, from Trayvon Martin, from Tamir Wright. Those wounds are wide open. What you've done is got the knife and split it open and said, I don't think that's fresh enough. Let's reopen that again. You're never going to heal as a society if it does not stop. And you can't protest yeah, just for a week or a month. This is as yeah, an ongoing fight, Professor. And this has to be framed right. This is a white problem. You know, we tend to frame this in the media, we being the white-controlled media, right? The white-controlled media frame this as a black problem. No, this is a white problem. That's what W.E. Du Bois told us 100 years ago. The problem of race in this country is a white problem. It's about white racist framing of black people, originally under slavery and Jim Crow, to exploit them for white profit. And now it's that still that same white framing of society that gets pride of place. And until you start dealing with that in the minds of police officers and you start prosecuting them for malpractice, you're not going to stop this. That's absolutely it's a white the... problem. No, it's a, a problem of white racism. That's what we have to keep calling it that. This is not about healing and touchy-feely. This is a problem of structural white racism. It's been this way for 400 years. Yes. And uh, we, we came across some information. William, go ahead. Well, I just had one, one other comment, I guess a question for the professor. One thing that I've noticed is that you hardly ever see minority representation on police force. And then in situations that we've seen, we saw in Ferguson, they, of course, conveniently put a black face to the police to try to calm the masses. But it's, but it's so much, it seems, there is such a racial bias even in their own hiring process or their screening process. So you don't see African-American uh, police officers. And I just wanted to know your thoughts on that, Professor. Yeah, I saw a really good study uh, just today of major police departments, the percentage that's black in the police department versus the percentage that's black in the population. And most of our major cities have a huge discrepancy between the percent black in the police force and the, police, the percent black in the communities. That's certainly one fundamental problem in this country. Uh, and that would be an easy one to correct, right? You've got all of those uh, returning veterans, for example, from the Middle East you know, who are well-trained in firearms and ethical protocols, why aren't they being hired by these police departments? You know, we just, 
Uh, there's a huge racial gap in policing. It was in the New York Times uh, last year. Uh, Baltimore, for example, has uh, 20%, it's 20% more white officers than residents. Annapolis, Maryland, it's 14% more white officers than white residents. Charleston, South Carolina, is 42% more white than residents. Uh, St. Louis, you know, many of its communities are like 60 to 70% more. The police department's more white than the residents. Uh, you know, and they've just, city after Cleveland, 70%. Uh, New York City, in the 50% more white in the police department than in the community. You know, city after city after city is not just somewhat underrepresenting the populations of color, but systematically and hugely underrepresented, uh, underrepresenting people of color in their police forces. Chicago. Take a look at that New York Times, New York Times uh, study back in April 8, 2015. The study after study after study, the police forces aren't nearly as diverse as the communities. Oh, absolutely. And, Professor, here's the problem. If you, you can't have representation in law enforcement unless you have a diverse group. You have African-Americans that understand the African-American people. Uh, but you know what the problem is? If people can begin to not see color, I protect the black person in his neighborhood equally as I protect the white person in the neighborhood. Now, that's in a perfect world. We simply are millions of miles away from that. Professor, we're coming right back on the other side of this break. If you can hang with us for a little bit longer, we'd appreciate it. Folks, ladies okay. and gentlemen, of America, we appreciate that. Professor, you can, can you hang with us for a little bit? Yes. All right, we appreciate that. Ladies and gentlemen of America, feel free to call in. Three four seven eight three eight eight nine seven six. That's three four seven eight three eight eight nine seven six. What is the outrage? Why the passion? Why the anger? Why the emotion? Black lives are falling in the streets of America. We're coming right back as we deal with this topic: a license to kill, and that comes with a badge on the streets of America. We'll be right back. Here on AJC Radio. What's up, y'all? It's your boy Cameron Sage, and I'm afraid I'll be killed by police. Not all police, just one police officer who fears first life and thinks I have a gun. I'm afraid I'll match the description of someone who called 911. The police will arrive, and before I know it, I'll be dead. Not all cops are bad, but for me, all it takes is one who was afraid for his life, and that leaves me dead. He could have had a pristine record up until that, but if he's afraid that day, that means it's the end for me. He could have been a bad cop his whole entire career and not be afraid. That means the end for me. I used to think this wouldn't happen to me because I'm a law-abiding citizen. I won't ever be doing anything or be anywhere I shouldn't be. I'll comply with officers, but that doesn't always seem to be the case. Here's some examples of what black people were doing when they were killed by police. Selling CDs outside of a supermarket selling cigarettes outside of a corner store, walking home with a friend, missing a front license plate, riding a commuter train, holding a fake gun in a park in Ohio, holding a fake gun in a Walmart in Ohio, holding a fake gun in Virginia, calling for help after a car accident, driving with a broken brake light, failing to signal a lane change, walking away from police, walking toward police, running to the bathroom in your apartment building, 
walking up the stairwell of your apartment building, sitting in your car before your bachelor party, holding your wallet, not wearing a seatbelt in police custody, attending a birthday party, laughing. The thing that makes me most afraid is I'll be afraid. I don't know what I'll do if a police officer has a gun pointed at me and is shouting instructions. I'm afraid I'll move too fast, too slow, not fast enough. I'll reach for something he asked me to reach for and he'll think it's a gun. I'm afraid I won't be calm and me not being calm could be the end of me. I'm afraid that I can die in front of my wife or children or both. I'm afraid my children will be somewhere without me and suffer the same fate. I'm afraid the police officer will be in plain clothing so they won't even recognize that this is a police officer and they don't respect him and treat him like the authority he is because they don't know he is. And here's what's going to happen if I die. People will comment on a post about me and here's what they'll say. If he would have just done this, he would be alive today. If he would have just done that, he'd be alive today. All you have to do is listen to police and you'll be fine. If he would have just listened to the officer's orders, he'd be here today. If you care so much, why don't you care about what's happening in Chicago? What about black on black crime? Don't you care about that? The media will find the worst picture of me to use. And since I don't have any brushes with the law or mugshots, they'll find the most menacing or intimidating photo they can use. They won't use any of my wife or children or my family because that doesn't tell the story that they want to tell. Tammy Lauren will get on TV and tell them it was my fault or Glenn Beck or Sean Hannity or Rush Limbaugh will get on the radio. Fox News will have a field day with me. They'll say we don't have all the facts. The video doesn't clearly show. You don't know. What if he was? It looked like he was. You can't tell clearly. We can't see what's in his right hand or left hand. You don't know what the officers were feeling. The NRA won't protect me or protest my death, even if I say I'm a licensed gun owner and I tell the police officer that when he pulls me over. The video will be posted all over the Internet in a matter of seconds, and whether or not you want to see it, you will see my dead body lying on the ground or a video of an officer shooting me or me dying live on Facebook. And then people will say it's not about race. We're all one people. All lives matter. And then life will go on. That's the scariest thing. After a while, life will go on. The officers may or may not get arrested. More than likely, they won't be convicted. More than likely, they won't even be indicted. And before you can totally mourn my death, it'll happen again. That's why I'm afraid. A Bart police officer who shot and killed a man. When I first saw the Oscar Graham footage, like a lot of people here in Oakland, I was outraged. As soon as I heard about it and I went online and I seen what had happened, tears came down my eyes. It was something that was very alarming as a police officer and as a citizen of Oakland. It was like such a blatant murder. You have a city in trauma. Anyone that's seen that and looks at it is in trauma. My hope is that people will express their concern with police brutality, but they will do so in constructive ways that don't include violence. We cannot perpetrate this cycle of harm and violence in this community. Because we do have to live here and they terrorize the city and it's only going to make it worse for us. They killed our young you can protest, you can try to make a change, but there is a positive way you can do it. And make sure we let the police know and that we're aware that stuff ain't right out here. We're trying to fix it. In a way that is about using your voice for justice and making Oakland a safer place for everyone to live and get along as one. Violence is not just Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. The uproar over the events and their fallout in Charleston has led President Obama to talk about race in the most blunt language the American public has ever heard from him. In doing so, he used a controversial word, one steeped in a legacy of hate, to make his point. NBC News White House correspondent Kristen Welker has that part of the story. 
The massacre in South Carolina shocked a nation and jolted the first African-American president to speak with unprecedented candor about racial tensions and gun violence. Racism. We are not cured of. In an interview with podcast host Mark Marin, a frustrated President Obama used the N-word publicly for the first time as president. Out of sensitivity, NBC News has decided to bleep out the word. And it's not just a matter of... Uh, it not being polite to say nigger public, that's not the measure of whether racism still exists or not. It's not just a matter of overt discrimination. We have to, societies don't overnight completely erase everything that happened two to three hundred years prior. The reaction raw from South Carolina today. He wasn't trying to sugarcoat anything. I think everything he said was spot on. I really have thought we had progress beyond that. At historically black Howard University, callers took to the airwaves. What has to change is the hearts and minds of the people. So true. He shocked us into an awareness, and I think it was so effective as a person who is the president of the United States of America trying to lead us and guide us through these treacherous uh, waters of race in our own time. In 2008, Mr. Obama rode a wave of hope and change into office, but statistics show for African Americans, significant problems remain. The unemployment rate among blacks has dropped, but at more than 10%, it's still double the unemployment rate for whites. Blacks are incarcerated nearly six times the rate of whites. And while hate crimes have declined, more than two-thirds are directed at African Americans. Dylan Roof's actions in South Carolina also renewed the president's call on guns. I don't foresee any real action being taken until the American public feels a sufficient sense of urgency and they say to themselves, this is not normal. As emotions run high over these issues, the president is acutely aware his window for action is quickly closing. And welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. And tonight, we are dealing with a very serious issue, a license to kill in America. Black lives, apparently, do not matter. And we're addressing that issue tonight. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, and William Williams, and the entire AJC Radio team, as we continue to talk about this issue, uh, we have been uh, honored to have Professor Joe Fagan joining us tonight. Welcome back, Professor. Yeah, thank you. And you're welcome on that. And, and we were looking, uh, Cliff, at some insane uh, accounts of events, if you will. And, Professor, I'm going to get your thoughts on it. We're going to get you to chime in on this. This is amazing. Not amazing, absolutely sick. And it goes to the argument that we're making uh, in regards to, the, the, again, the black America being treated very, very differently. Uh, this story comes from Harmon Leon from Alternet. Uh, eight white people who actually pointed guns at police officers and remained alive. I want you to hear that very carefully. As we look at the two killings that just happened in the last two days, no gun. Not pointing at officers uh, in the Minnesota uh, case, Mr. Castile, no weapon other than what he was allowed to carry and was not uh, out in the open. He had a four-year-old daughter in the car. Listen to this. In August, a San Diego man got out of his parked car with a loaded 9 millimeter pistol 
and proceeded to point it at police officers and small children who were playing in a local park. The police proceeded to spend the next hour trying to talk the man, Lance Tamio, into putting down his weapon. Can you guess the man's race? He was white. As terrified children were forced to hide in the bathroom, Tamio rushed toward the officers with his weapon pointed at them and at a police helicopter flying overhead. Eventually, an officer shot Tamayo once in the stomach to put him down. He fell to the ground, but his gun remained within reach. The police then called Tamayo on his cell phone and spoke with him for 15 minutes before he agreed to surrender. But you have a 12-year-old, Tamar Ice, with a toy gun in an empty playground. Officers pull up to the scene and point and kill him instantly. Within no, two seconds of arriving on the scene. No negotiation. Now, this is what's sick. Not only does black America affected, black children are dying. So t- explain to me how negotiations go to a man waving a gun in a park, pointing and charging an officer. Where's the statement, I was in fear of my life? You took the time to call this man on his cell phone. And talk him down for 15 minutes to avoid taking his life. Can somebody explain to me? Professor, can you explain to me how then are we sitting having this conversation in our country right now with two senseless killings in the last two days? Where was the negotiation for these black men? You know, we're back to what we've been talking about from the beginning. This is a white problem. It's a problem of white racism. We need to define it that way. We need to discuss it that way. We need to put whites at the center of this as the problem. We need to put white thinking, white framing of black people at the center of this. The reason you get this difference between the way a white man with a gun is treated by the police and a black man with anything, it can be a cell phone, is treated by the police, is because we whites are taught from cradle to grave that white people are virtuous until proven guilty, and we're taught from cradle to grave that black people are unvirtuous, criminal, lazy, until proven uh, to be not guilty. We're taught that from cradle to grave in what I call the white racial frame. It's a frame we're taught. And nobody in our educational system, or at least rarely in our educational system, is there any anti-racism training, deframing, unframing to get that white frame out of our heads? And that's especially true of police departments. You know, that's oh, very token. Token diversity training won't cut it. You can't compensate in, in a one-day workshop for decades of teaching that we whites do of each other that black people are dangerous. <laughs> And that white people are virtuous until they're proven dangerous. No, I, I, I it's, a white believe pro- it's a white problem. No, absolutely. Uh, and that, I think, um, from what I'm hearing today, we're hopeful that this situation creates an immediate action to what is going on in our country. And I don't know why this one, and, and Professor, I'll tell you what. 
I couldn't sleep last night. I cried. I, I, I called my mother. I said, I can't shake this. I keep seeing Mr. Sterling on his back, his eyes rolling in his head and reaching up for somebody to help him in the seconds, the last seconds of his life. I see the man sitting in the car with his daughter, bleeding to death. This is barbaric. Dennis, we talked earlier, and Professor, I'm going to get your thoughts on this. Dennis, you're ex-military, a veteran. We thank you for your service. You were telling us about the rules of engagement of war. Shows more sensibility, shows more human kindness to the enemy who we know is there to kill you. Share with the people the rules of engagement for a soldier with the enemy. With, there's no question what his intentions are. And they're treated better than African-Americans in this country right now. That is so true. Our military, uh, we have to learn deadly force. And first, uh, before you can use it, you've got to know what it means. And it's sad that, you know, our, we have ROEs, which is called our rules of engagement, before you can engage on the enemy. And uh, it says, when possible, the enemy will be warned first and asked to surrender. Uh, what happened? To, what happened today and, and two days ago? There, there was no no one being asked to surrender. And then it also says, armed force, deadly force, is to be used as a last resort. Now, this, I'm talking about our enemy now. War. But Soldiers war. dying every day. We're talking about Afghanistan, Iraq, Africa. Our soldiers are dying. But yet they have an ROE that they must follow. And if they don't, they can go to prison and have gone to prison because they failed to abide by the ROE. But yet we have police officers, police forces without ROEs, Nothing, there's no accountability, there's nothing saying when they can fire, when they can't fire. All it is is if I feel threatened. And here's what makes no sense, Dennis. If our military, our military, like you said, our soldiers are in harm's way and they must follow protocol. Yes. How is it then with American citizens, innocent people, we have no rules of engagement? by our officers in this country. Professor, your thoughts on that? I'm not a police expert, but I think most of the major police departments do have rules of engagement for their officers. It's just that they're not enforced systematically. And you notice in these police malpractice, violent killings, police brutality incidents, when they study this in police studies, it's a minority of the officers in a police department who account for most of the police malpractice and police brutality complaints. And the problem is that the majority of officers who don't engage in this kind of behavior protect those who do. There's kind of a police buddy system. Right. And it, that's what makes it so hard to prosecute these cases is the other police officers who observed it or know something about it usually will not testify against the bad apple so-called officers who account for most of these police malpractice incidents. 
But there are rules and regulations in police departments uh, that just aren't enforced. And just like, uh, you know, any any other rule, any other uh, regulation that has no uh, repercussions for, you know, disobeying it or not following it, it might as well not be there. Exactly. It's not worth the uh, the sheet of paper that it's typed up on. But the, um, you know, the the issue with with having those rules and having the other officers that, uh, you know, say I'm not going to testify against them, that's why that's when you have a third party. Uh, you know, of of just normal citizens say, you know what, we're going to have a hearing and we're going to determine whether this officer should be brought up on charge because you can't expect the uh, the police to police themselves. It's just like any other, uh, you know, any other group. You can't expect them to basically say, okay, I, I'm going to say that <clears> – <throat> that I did wrong and I should be punished for it. That is not human nature. The same way you can't have it with prosecutors, same way you can't have it with judges. When you send it back to the person who's being accused of the wrongdoing, of course they're going to say, no, I didn't do any wrongdoing. And it's the same thing, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a tradition, you know, the so-called, quote-unquote, blue blood tradition that, uh, you know, cops don't, don't speak against cops. It's, um, it's disgusting. It's costing uh, it's costing lives. And my question, you know, listening to the rule of engagement that Dennis went over for, I mean, these are enemy combatants that, like Lamont said, we know they're there to kill our soldiers, but yet there is a, a rule of engagement say, at the at the last, your last line of defense is to use deadly force to kill someone. Yeah. You have also, is, you've also put your finger on a solution. You know, if these departments had an independent police review commission, mm-hmm. I'm talking about an independent one that was representative of the community, like in Charleston, South Carolina, it's, what, 50% African-American. So the right. police review commission would be independent and half African-American, and it would investigate these cases seriously and prosecute the officers who commit crimes. But unless you have, so an independent police review commission makes sense. And a few cities have tried that and then abandoned them or they get weakened or they get bought off. But that's certainly a practical solution is to do what you're talking about. Have this commission over the police department that it's responsible to. Absolutely. And when you don't have a check and balance system, uh, you have chaos. Cliff? Yes, we uh, we have all on the line. We have uh, Faya from Selma, Alabama, who has a comment about the shootings. Faya, you're live. Go ahead. Hello. Yes, we hear you. Okay. Yes, this is really a very revealing day. It's not an unusual day. It's something that has happened for 300 years. But thanks to technology, it can now be caught on camera. Oh, absolutely. Your thoughts on the, I mean, this has shaken uh, the country, uh, I believe, in a very big way. Uh, what are your thoughts of, of your feeling, at least where you're, where you're at in the, in, in the United States and you're, where you live? What's the feeling and the tone down there? What's the talk? Outrage. And what's amazing is our people have been apathetically silent. I think Dr. King once said, when you see a wrong and you sit silently, you begin to die. 
And I live in Selma, Alabama, where so many rights have been taken away from people, where a mentally ill black man was killed by a black cop and nothing was done, even though we had a black DA, the only black DA in Alabama. He refused to do anything. I live in Selma that gave the nation the Voting Rights Act, yet a majority black council took away the citizens' right to speak. I live in a city where Dr. Akeem was, and 50 years later, uh, President Obama came to cross that bridge, and yet a majority of black council gave the Confederates an acre of land to build a monument to Nathan B. Forrest, the Grand Wizard of the Klan. What does this have to do with the killings? It has a lot to do. We now have black people in positions of power who are perpetuating and supporting the myth of, of white supremacy, which means that this system devalues black people, especially black men. So this killing, these horrific killings are not unusual. If you think about it, young black men have been killed for not calling a man mister. Young black men and black women have been killed for, uh, like Emmett Till, another white woman. So we have a continuation of 300 years of unmitigated violence. The only difference is it is no longer legal to do it. So police officers hide behind that badge and that gun to continue the, 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 the lynchings, the modern-day lynchings of black men in the name of law and order. And I'm hoping something good will come out of this. We were on the bridge in Selma at 12 o'clock. I'm on my way to Washington to another demonstration. I went out across the bridge this evening. There were people at the bridge. This might just be a wake-up call. Just like Emmett Till's death was a wake-up call for the civil rights movement, this might be a wake-up call. We have to remember that the police, one of their original tasks during the days of slavery, was to enforce the Fugitive Slave Act, to enforce uh, rules uh, that, that kept black people enslaved. The Civil War was fought to continue to keep us subjugated and in a, in a position of powerlessness. It was just as tainted that said from the Supreme Court bench almost 200 years ago that black people have no rights that white people are bound to respect. That was true when he said it in 1850, and it is true now nearly, what, almost 200 years later, forget my math. So I've seen people cry. I've seen today people who are not politically involved. I've seen people who don't vote, people who pretend not to notice that in Selma we have a murder just about every month, that Selma, this city that is so historical, is the most violent city in Alabama, and the people here are appallingly quiet. We have a black mayor, but he has appointed a racist black police chief, and we are in a time where we don't even have black people in positions of power that will speak right. up and to protect our children. But these deaths were so graphic and caught on camera that maybe this might be the wake-up call to wake up America because we are facing an era where we will go back to the times of post-Reconstruction. We forget that we had black senators, black judges, black this, black that after the Civil War. It was all taken away because the American government sold us out. And we, because of the terror of the Klan and other hate groups, remained silent for almost 100 years, except the 
bosses of the bars and the NAACP and Shuttlesworth and people who almost were alone in their cries for help. But in the 60s, those cries were heard, and we had a major movement to, to restore the right to vote and the Civil Rights Act. But when Trump says we're going back, we're going to reclaim and make America great for the Klan again, he's telling the absolute truth. Wow. Well, Faye, I'll tell you what. Uh, I want to say first, we salute your work uh, and what you do and what you have seen. You're well respected uh, from the AJC family, AJC Radio, and I just calls family here. Uh, and I think you're, what you speak is truth. Uh, where are the voices? We know you are a voice and have been a voice for quite some time. And I think I, I like what you say. Uh, it's time out for black people remaining silent. We said before we we're going to do a show called You Do Not Have the Right to Remain Silent. That's not an option. Not when African-American people are slain in the streets of America. This is a slaying. Mercenaries. These are killers killing our people. Not, we cannot accept that. And we can't, as I said, alluded to with Cliff and our team here earlier, this can't just go on for a couple of weeks and then it dies out. No. It needs to continue to rise and get stronger and stronger. And I appreciate your words, your thoughts. Please feel free to use AJC let me, Radio. Let me make one more point yeah. if I can. One more sure. point if I can. Sure. We have to, when I hear the white pundits discuss this issue, they love to talk about the fact that 48 people were killed in Chicago. Black people killed each other. We have to understand that these Phenomena are very related. All of these, this phenomena is a product of the long reach of slavery. White supremacy was never taken from our laws. We got the right to vote. We got the Civil Rights Act, the right to sit at the front of the bus. But there was never a law that repealed the policy of white supremacy in this country. And what you have, because we don't teach black history in our schools, because most people don't even know about the horrific violence in slavery, most people do not know. They think ISIS is terrible and ISIS is terrible. But we had ISIS all over America, especially the Black people were beheaded. They were burnt alive. And absolutely nobody was punished. So when you allow that type of terror to persist uh, for years, years, and then you get black people in office, and they are so brainwashed. They're good people, but they're, they're college-educated, many of them, but they have no idea of what slavery has done to their children and to themselves. So when they get in office, they do not use their power to appoint police officers and uh, police chiefs that will make sure that black lives are protected as white lives. I'll give you an example. In Selma, Alabama, with a black DA, under black DA, black police chief, a young black man mentally ill put his hand up a white woman's dress and got 40 years in jail. A girl raped, 13 years old, her racist got a year in jail. We are still suffering. Wow. That's amazing. Well, not amazing. About killing these beautiful men uh, this week. We don't understand that connection between and, and 48 young people being killed in Chicago. 
when you devalue people and treat them like they're nothing, their own people treat them like they're nothing. Politicians don't protect them the same way they protect white people. And white cops and even black cops don't protect black people because our lives don't matter. I was standing on the corner today with young people. We have an excellent program here called the Connor Tucker Internship Program. Nine young people are learning social activism. And so many of the white people were upset <laughs> with our signs, Black Lives Matter. They take personal offense to this because they don't want our lives to matter. And when we say our lives matter, it is a blow to white supremacy. And I really believe that things have gotten worse since we got a black president because he has defied all of their stereotypes in spite of the fact that they call him ignorant and stupid. The proof is in the pudding. No one believes that except the white supremacists. And their children are beginning to see the lies. And then, therefore, their, their, their wrath and their, their retaliation has escalated. But to me, this is a golden opportunity for black people to come forth and restore the movement that our ancestors started from the day they got off those slave ships. We are people of resistance and resiliency. And I'm hoping that this will not just be on a, 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 a day uh, of, of protest, that we will organize that protest and harness it in a, into a movement that really can change the world, change this country and our condition. I invite oh, everybody yeah. to sum up our bridge cross the Jubilee on March the 6th. Uh, it's not just a celebration, it's a continuation of the movement. And thank yes. you for allowing me to speak and to share with the world the, the hypocrisy and yes. the terror of this tragedy. You know, got upset, yeah. and they, they should get upset when those people were killed in Orlando. Absolutely. I'm you, this is an extension of that same No, absolutely, Faye, and thank you for joining us tonight. We're going to be in touch with you. Uh, offline to try to get involved with what you're doing down there as we come together as a people and as a community and as the human race to, to, to definitely institute change. Thank you for joining us uh, tonight. And, uh, Professor, you heard that uh, from uh, Faye Ture. Uh She's a Harvard-educated civil rights activist, litigation attorney, uh, who has worked on some of the highest-profile civil rights cases to come before the courts uh, Faye was the first African-American female judge in Alabama and was part of the winning legal team in Pickford versus Veneman, the largest civil rights case in history. Professor, when you hear her break that down, uh, she comes with the proper pedigree, if you will, uh, and she's talking some good stuff. Your thoughts, Professor, on that? Yeah, she nailed it. There's, there's no way I can say it better than she did. It does remind me of Frederick Douglass. Remember he said, if there is no struggle, there is no progress. Those who yes. profess to favor freedom and yet deprecate agitation are men who want crops without plowing up the ground. I remember well. a story when he was near death. He was an old man, and a young black man came to see him, asking his advice for the young black man's future. What, what should he be doing? And... Uh, Douglas looked quietly at him and he said, agitate, then he paused, agitate, then he paused, agitate. That was his parting words to the young black man. Those who profess to favor freedom and yet deprecate agitation are men who want crops without plowing up the ground. 
we need another civil rights movement. Absolutely. Um, Professor, I, I can't thank you enough. Uh, the words that you give, uh, and then you hear uh, Faya Therese speaking about what our challenges are, what the, the information, the informative information, I believe, that your insight provides to our listeners, I believe, uh, and what we're hearing from Faya Therese, can institute change. And this is why we say we cannot remain silent. The words that we speak are powerful. If we fail to speak to the issues that affect a race, a nation, and a world, we're in big trouble. And I appreciate, Professor, your thoughts. I don't out of respect for your time unless you want to come back with us on the other side of the break or we can let you go. I'm not sure if we've interrupted supper for you tonight, but I tell you what, we've had dinner, uh, if you will, uh, with your information that you've provided for us and our listeners tonight. Do we need to let you go, or do you want to come back? Yes, I think so, but uh, thank you for inviting me. And as yes. Douglas said, agitate, keep on agitating. Absolutely. Thank you so Take much. Care. We'll be Thank you so much, Professor. Have a good night. Good night. And, all righty. And, that, well, folks, there you have it, uh, some, some very important uh, talk uh, going on. Uh, Cliff, I think we got another caller. Yeah, I want to get this uh, another caller before we go to break. We have uh, Reese from Utah. You have a comment. You are live. Hey, how you guys doing? You guys hear me tonight? Yeah, we hear you. Okay, so pretty much um, I'm originally from California. I actually relocated to Utah a couple years ago. How I feel about this whole thing is this. Um, I usually, when all this happens, any time a shooting happens, I try to be measured. The number one thing, though, that bothered me the most by um, what happened with Mr. Castile is that these police literally aren't even reviewing less lethal options. Uh, and not only do they not review less lethal options, when the facts stand about, you know, prosecuting these, these police who do this, you know, 97% of the time they don't get prosecuted. So why, well, you know, the professor mentioned a little bit ago, you know, before he got off the line about a new civil rights movement. You know, there, there's nothing more that I could agree to than that, you know. I know that he, um, there was another caller before who kind of disagreed with the way the president um, perceived this um, situation. And, and, you know, he said that the president plays stereotypes. And I, I have to agree that, really, honestly, it is an American issue. If we don't get people on board with stopping these these murders, how can we ever, as a nation, be able to solve the problems? I mean, uh, many people march. You know, I love my ancestors for everything that they did for me and the freedoms that they, they've given me by, with their sacrifice because at the end there was sacrifice involved. But these men being shot, you know, at the end with Mr. Shepard, you know, you could say what you want to say about him resisting, you know, and him being tasered and stuff. Uh, to be to be pinned down like that and shot in the chest, to, to, to where where are we coming to here? The, really? the the excuses that the police can put forward with the fact that, and you know, I'm no lawyer yet. I mean, I'm going to become one. But um, the, the the problem with these police and their 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 discretion 
of course, you know, they can say, you know, I feel threatened. Uh, in the state of Utah, and, and, I, and truthfully, you know, I'm a black man. I, I've open carried out here. I've walked up to police and had conversations with my 1911 right on my side, no issues. Um, some people say I'm blessed, and, you know, the way the, the, the economic, social climate is changing, I guess you could say that's right. But the one thing that I'm, you know, I've taken in all that, you know, walking up to the policemen, having these conversations, is that, number one, people are threatened by uh, African-American men. I mean, the police weren't, fortunately for me, but when I walk through stores or, or go do, do things that's, you know, normal and if I decide to open carry, um, especially during around the holidays because people get crazy, you know, people, you know, threaten to call the police on me or things like that. I've had police call on me, and I've talked to those police because them, literally they know um, I'm actually, you know, I'm actually Republican leadership here in the state of Utah. And so, they don't understand that. Truthfully, I mean, I I look at politics sometimes in their own way, and they don't understand that they're coded racism, um, their right. racial attacks on my people, their racial attacks on my people from from st- statistics. Because, like, I mean, the number one thing that they, they don't understand about me is that while I do uh, assign certain things that are very Republican, that are very, very strong in those senses, the number one thing you'll never get me on is that you can't be sitting here spitting coded racism at me and think that I'm not going to talk to you about that. But it doesn't matter how many people were shot in Chicago. This man is a person who's upholding the law, and he's killing. And there's no, no type of oversight, there's no type of um, holding accountability to these crimes. And I, the number one thing that I loved about, you know, certain aspects of Abraham Lincoln is when he said, you know, about the law, um, just to bring up a quick quote, he says that, um, oh, I can't even find my quote, but, you know, I'll, I'll talk about it later, but it, no it's just altogether, altogether, I'm just about the law. And the fact is right now is that there is no equal justice for equal crime. I don't care what anyone says. There is no equal justice for equal crime. People of of minority nature are getting probably sometimes tripped at the time. I love, I, I actually fight sexual assault here in the state of Utah too. I love the Brock Turner case for one main reason. I mean, 16, I mean, probation, you know, he, he probation. And then a black male in Vanderbilt who's a football player gets put in the same crime. He raped that girl unconscious. Well, well, Reese, I'll yeah. tell you what. No, I'll tell you what. And uh, thank you for the call tonight. I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. And those are things that we have to deal with, we have to focus on. And I'll tell you what, folks, everyone is talking around the United States tonight. A license to kill on the streets of America. Black lives do not matter. At least that's the way it seems. We'll be right back as we continue the discussion License to Kill. The racial composition of the prison population in the United States is very different from the population at large. If people are worried about inequality in America today, I think this deserves more attention in the discussion. Racial inequality in the criminal justice system gets ignored because it doesn't affect most people. In 2010, over 1.6 million people were in state and federal prisons within the United States. So 497 out of every 100,000 Americans were in jail, about half of 1%. Less than 1%. That doesn't seem very large, but 
When you separate that population by race, you recognize that the personal effects of the criminal justice system are very unequally shared throughout our society. Whites make up 64% of the total population, but only 31% of the incarcerated population. Blacks represent 14% of society, but 36% of the prison population. Hispanics are 16% of America, but 24% of the American prison population. Less than one in a hundred Americans are currently in jail, but for some races, genders, and age groups, that ratio is a lot larger. For example, if you're young, black, and male, it's closer to about one in four. That means you'd have a higher probability of going to jail than of getting married or going to college. These results are unequal and problematic as poor black communities lack so many of their members. But what can be done? The causes of this trend are undoubtedly complicated and multi-causal. But there is reason to suggest that part of the blame is our criminal justice system itself. In the ways police officers enforce laws, in the ways that laws are written and prosecuted, and more. In many cases, it is not overt racism by individual actors. Many police officers, prosecutors, and judges are undoubtedly trying to be fair and trying to do the right thing. But economics can explain how unequal enforcement of the criminal law happens anyway. This is because the political and bureaucratic structure of the criminal justice system creates perverse incentives. The formal laws surrounding drug prohibition, for example, are written as if to be colorblind. But people with different levels of wealth face different costs and benefits to participating in the drug trade. Different groups consume different drugs at different rates and... Lastly, those groups are politically represented in very different quantities. Thus, they are arrested and incarcerated at very different rates. How could minority groups hope to use the political process to fix inequality when they are systematically over-incarcerated and disenfranchised? Despite noble intentions, politics often does not affect the basic incentives of costs and benefits faced by political or citizen actors. We might need a new approach to social change if we are going to address these problems. We definitely need more study into the causes of inequality, and we should admit that radical changes might be both necessary and preferable to the status quo. The fallout from the deaths of Michael Brown and Eric Garner at the hands of white police officers has gripped a nation. On November 24 in Ferguson, Missouri, a grand jury announced it would not indict Officer Darren Wilson in the death of Brown, an unarmed black teen. A week later, a grand jury in New York decided not to prosecute police officer Daniel Pantalo in Garner's death. Garner, an unarmed African-American man, died after the white police officer wrestled him to the ground with a chokehold. In cities across the country, protesters have been staging sit-ins, die-ins and blockades in a growing movement against police brutality fueled by social media. Demonstrators are calling for change in how law enforcement deals with minorities, especially black men. What's the response where you live? If you have witnessed or participated in protests where you live, we invite you to If you have a personal essay or video commentary to share, this is the place. 
some of the submissions may be part of CNN's ongoing coverage. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. And tonight is no exception, as we have dealt with a troubling trend, and it's on every news station, every newspaper, the senseless death of two African Americans in the last two days. And I'll tell you what, it has been graphic. We've been honored to have um, a few people, Cliff, chiming in tonight. Uh, on this issue, and what I believe the message we are hearing from everybody is that it is time out and enough is enough. That's my thoughts as we go forward uh, in this program. Cliff, your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, Professor Feagan really lays it down. He doesn't pull any punches. Uh, he just says exactly what's going on. You, you can't ask for anyone, uh, you know, to really give you the the raw truth about the whole situation and and you know i echo what he said this is it's not a black issue it's a white racism in america issue and uh you know i, I appreciate the fact that he's not afraid to say that we appreciate him uh we also appreciate miss faya torre for coming yes. on and uh and you know making her her giving us her thoughts it it really just says that you know if we can come together if we can have that type of dialogue on AJC Radio, why can't the rest of the country just say, hey, let's just deal with the white elephant in the room, that this is what's going on. If you admit it and you deal with it, then we can start to uh, we can start to change the situation. Until that happens, I mean, I'm just afraid that, uh, like I said earlier, we're not really going to see that much change. Well, that's the reality of it, folks. Uh, you have to get involved. Uh, you have to have the conversation. Again, we are past there's only so long you're going to be talking. What are we doing? And that is the, that is the big question. What are we doing? Uh, I said it once, ladies and gentlemen. I'll say it again. You can be a noun or you can be a verb. A verb means action, movement. We need a verb mentality in this country right now. Uh, speaking about it's not going to do it anymore. We've been talking. Michael Brown... Walter Scott, Trayvon Martin, we've been talking since all of these tragedies have happened. Where is the action? And to the truth, her insight when she made the statement, Cliff, we can talk about it as long as we want. But until we as a people become outraged, and the professor, his words are so profound, this is a white problem. Nobody wants to deal with that. Everybody a week ago was putting Jesse uh, uh, Williams out of society. Said he didn't matter. What he said is racist. What he said is not true. He's dividing the country. Tonight we salute you, Jesse Williams, for your voice in this hour, in this situation. Because everything you said at the BET Awards for the Humanitarian Award... Every word you spoke comes to reality as we see these two simplest deaths. Cliff, uh, his words ring true louder tonight than they ever have. Absolutely. And it, uh, you know, speaks to his courage, to his uh, resilience, to his upbringing that, you know, he is willing to 
to make these type of statements in public, uh, on the record, against protests, uh, you have to commend them. There's so many that have a platform that really, uh, you know, don't do much with it. Um, you know, they have fans, they have, uh, you know, people who, who basically support them and their, their art, their entertainment, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but they refuse to get on the stage and make a statement about the condition of America, about what is going on today. And what we find, Cliff, here, this particular event has sparked celebrities everywhere to speak out. Uh, Nancy Sinatra, are you paying attention? Uh, Alton Sterling was murdered like so many others. Do you believe the Department of Justice will do anything? I don't rise up. Jesse Williams, in the interest of time, would you noble patriots please provide a list of infractions punishable by spontaneous public execution? Thanks. Jeff Johnson, I believe there are good cops. I just want to see their outrage and hear their voices when one of their own commits murder. Mia Farrow, these killings must stop. Audra McDonald, the list goes on and on like a never-ending quilt of tears and rage. Chuck D, if anything, this proves why the term Black Lives Matter is the cry out to the rest of the planet Earth from, the United, from this United States of America. Justin Simeon, if you're out here excusing Alton Sterling's murder by classifying him as anything but human, you are the problem. You will be solved. Olivia Wilde, he had a right to sell CDs and a right to due process, but he was shot for being a black man. Don't rationalize murder. It goes on. Andy Cohen, very upset reading about Alton Sterling this morning. When will this end? Sherry Shepard, just watched police officers kill Alton Sterling in cold blood. My heart hurts. I am sick. My black son lay sleeping. His future? Talib Quay Green, Alton Sterling, Freddie Gray, Rakia Boyd, Tamir Rice, etc., etc., etc. These are bad guys. How? Someone explain. And it goes on and on. Cliff, Dennis, when you hear, this, is, this seems to be a different outcry. This seems to be a different ring, if you will, of outrage. And it's coming from black people, white people. Before I left, the, the, demonstration, the demonstrators in Louisiana, in Minnesota, blacks, whites, we're our first caller uh, from, from another country. Yes. He said this is an American, what did he say, uh, war. This is an act of war on all Americans. If we see it that way, then we got, I'm telling you, maybe we change the way we approach and the way we deal with it. Uh, these are one of those things that are really uh, important. Uh, Dennis, when you hear some of the celebrities even coming out now to address and to cry out, um, your thoughts? I think America is saying enough is enough. I agree. Uh, yes. It's just going, it's gone on too long. Uh, we're tired of uh, police officers uh, getting off uh, with paid leave and, and just chilling. and It's just, we're, we're so tired. We, we want justice and we want accountability. No, absolutely, Dennis, and that makes sense. Ladies and gentlemen, the truth made a statement. We're going to deal with that right now on this last segment. We keep locking up 
our black men without cause, wrongful conviction. This contributes to the tragedies that we see. It's not just the killings, though that is major focus right now, but let's get to the root of the problem. Our incarceration rate, our incarceration rate huge African-American population, wrongful convictions as men sit in prison without cause. The RP6 story, what you didn't know, starts right now. But just cause has found something very interesting. A playwright by Judge H. Lee Sarrigan about the RP6. It starts right now. Take a look. My name is David Banks, and I'm serving an 11-year sentence at the Federal Correctional Complex Prison Camp in Florence, Colorado. I've lost everything. My business, my money, my family, my future, my church, and my freedom. My name is Gary Walker, and I'm serving a sentence of 11 years in the same prison. Just to decide, not only were the six of us all devout members of the same church, there was not a single criminal charge or conviction among any of us until these unbelievable events unfolded. My name is Clinton Stewart, and I'm serving a sentence of 10 years at the same prison in Colorado. It's fitting that we live, prayed, and work together that we should end up dying together, because that is what prison is for us and our families. I am Kendrick Barnes, and I am serving a seven-year sentence at the same prison in Colorado. I was the chief information officer at IRP Solutions, the name of our company. I testified, and then Gary objected. A Donnybrook broke out, because Gary said our Fifth Amendment rights had been violated by compelling us to testify. The judge said she had not said anything of the kind, and we demanded the transcript. We were all absolutely unanimous in our verbatim version of what she had said. She denied production of the transcript for that day and at the time, some 200 pages, but assured us that they would be produced at the end of the day. Transcript? of that particular conversation in the courtroom between us and the judge has never been produced. I am Demetrius Harper, and I'm serving a 10-year sentence at the same prison. And then in June of 2009, four years later, they finally got a grand jury to indict us. This time, they only called one witness, an FBI agent. And the old adage that a prosecutor can indict a ham sandwich was proven. This is a production that sets the bar and takes a sincere look at the RP6 story. Judge H. Lee Serkin, retired federal judge, felt compelled to say something. We will not remain silent to see the full story, the full playwright of the RP6 tragedy. Go to YouTube. Search the race card. You don't want to miss it. Some people think that business is a game. And what we have learned is that business actually is war. 
when they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. It's strange to me. I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? And then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. What we have learned is that the RP6 story was supposed to be the American dream is an American nightmare. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Um, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news, every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. And this is a unique case in the sense that you have six men, six businessmen that have been wrongfully convicted. You would think the media would jump all over it. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to send to. Is this happening in America? The American dream of the RP6 has turned into a nightmare, crying children left behind as a result of a corrupt system and corruption. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers as justice lays idle in the streets of America. We look for the answer. Ladies and gentlemen, go out to change.org, sign the petition now. America's future depends on it. And there we have it, ladies and gentlemen, dealing with the RP6 injustice. And Cliff, we said earlier, this contributes. Our entire culture, and I'll just tell you point blank, with the locking up and the wrongful conviction of these six men, I believe serves as an extension of racial disparities in this country and the racial divide in America the RP6 being a poster child of that disparity. Cliff, your thoughts? I totally agree. I mean, when you, you look at the stats that even President Obama dealt with today with, uh, you know, black men uh, being shot and killed by police at such a higher rate than, uh, than white men, the incarceration rate, the sentencing disparities, everything that we've discussed about the IRP case, um, it it is locked up in the culture of the American justice system. Uh, it, and, and even with Judge Sarakin's uh, play, The Race Car Face Up, he deals with the issue that, you know, because these are black men, five black and uh, one Italian, that this is why they befailed him. When you, because when you look at everything else, you look at the competition against them, you look at uh, other uh, white-owned companies that are trying to do the same thing, white-owned companies that were in debt, they don't get uh, you know, charged and convicted with frivolous 
uh, charges and get sentenced to 7 to 11 years in federal prison for owing debt. This is a debt collection case. And well, it, uh, again, it just speaks to the culture of the justice system and how it has uh, failed black Americans. And President Obama made the statement that after, and he went to this point, our criminal, it shows these killings show the problem with the criminal justice system in America. And this show and all our shows are dedicated to the RP6, Patriots of America, that prompted not only Federal Judge H. Lee Sarakin to say something, but the Washington Post decided to speak out. We ask you to go to change.org, sign our petition as we ask President Obama to grant clemency to these six men. We also ask that you can go to YouTube and see the entire the race card face-up production by retired Judge H. Lee Sarakin at YouTube. Just search the race card face-up. Ladies and gentlemen, as we have dealt with issues that are troubling, we must fix the problem, whether it be killings in our streets, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, or in our prisons where not only the RP6 lie and languish, but other African Americans as well. It's time for change, and that needs to happen right now. Lisa, the perpetrators of justice. They are U.S. Attorney John Walsh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, Assistant U.S. Attorney Sunita Hazra, Attorney Greg Goldberg, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, Appellate Judge Jerome Holmes, Appellate Judge Bobby Baldock, Appellate Judge Harris Hart, Federal Judge R. Brooke Jackson, Magistrate Judge Craig Schaefer, Court Reporter Darlene Martinez, FBI Agent John Smith, FBI Agent Robert Moen, former Federal Agent John Epke, former Federal Agent Gary Hilberry, Attorney Attorney Clifford Barnard, Attorney Thomas Richard, Attorney Robert Berger, Attorney Mitchell Baker, Attorney Boston Stanton Jr., Attorney Rick Kornfeld, Attorney Mark Garagos, Susan Holland of ETI Professional Services, and Samuel K. Thurman. And thank you for that. Ladies and gentlemen of America, the African-American community, it is high time now that your voice be heard, and it's time that we rise up. Enough is enough. Good night, America. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.